Hello and welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking. From indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up. In our very, very humble opinion. Today, we're talking about getting access all areas and how to make a feature film at a music festival. I am Giles Alderson, director of the psychological horror feature film The Dare and the vampire documentary World of Darkness and producer of horror comedy A Serial Killer's Guide to Life. As always, we are coming at you from Just Voices Studio. It's a brilliant studio, very reasonably priced. If you want a central London studio without the central London prices, this is the place for you. Visit them at justvoicesagency.com. Speak to Simon, speak to Lee, get yourself a discount, get here, record your voiceovers, your ADR, whatever you need. They're brilliant. We've got a new segment. I talked about it last week. This is called the Indie Filmmaker Shoutouts. Uh, we want to support indie filmmakers like ourselves and we want to start shouting out your stuff. So if you've got a screening, you've got a fundraiser, Kickstarter, whatever it is. So if you've got anything to promote, then remember, get into my DMs at Giles Alderson or at Filmmakers Pod and we will give it some love. So this week's shoutouts go to Phil Bowman and director Jamie Thraves. They're screaming that... Screaming? They're screening their film Pickups, which stars Aidan Gillen on the 23rd of April at Screen on the Green. You can listen to how they made that on episode 12, all the way back in episode 12 or on our website. You can listen to it there or wherever you get to your podcasts. Fizz and Ginger Films, Tori and Matthew Butler-Hart have their screening of The Isle at the East End Film Festival on the 20th of April. You can listen to how they made that film on episode 29 or 30. Now, some fundraisers. Kyle Hessler has his Preacher 6 movie on Indiegogo. It's billed as Taxi Driver meets Sin City. If you like the sound of that, go support him. Stuart Hanna has made his short film called Holding the Rain. That is on YouTube. You can listen to that. You can listen to it. You can watch that on YouTube. Uh, that deals with mental health. Head there now and watch that. That's an amazing little short film. Um, and Mark Zamet has got his project Homeless Ashes on Indiegogo, which would love some more filmmaking funding love, which would love some filmmaking. I've wrote love twice. That doesn't make sense. Which would love more funding love. There's many more. I will keep promoting those over the coming weeks. Thank you very much. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Remember, getting us rocking up the charts. Listen to us on SoundCloud, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Powercast 969, Tribulation Saints Radio, Overcast, or the Britpod scene. Yes, we are getting around, and yes, we are on loads of things. You can listen to us and find us on. So, joining us today to talk about filmmaking is Bryn Higgins and Oliver Vesey. Hello, boys. Hello, Dan. Hello, Giles. How are you doing? You all right? Very good, thanks. Mm-hmm. Good, good. First time on a podcast. Is it's, it you really? It's your very first exciting. time? Yeah. Oh, popped your cherry. Yeah. Like that. I don't know if I yeah. like that. We'll go with that. Um, Bryn is a British film and TV director and producer who has directed Emmy award-winning shows, including the brilliant episode of Black Mirror, which was called The Waldo Moment. If you've not seen that, go see it. It is fantastic. He has made documentaries and high-profile single dramas and series, including Carol's Law, Endeavour and Silent Witness. He was BAFTA nominated for originality and selected for input with his Channel 4 thriller series, The King of Chaos. His period drama, London Hospital for the BBC, was twice RTS nominated for Best Drama Series. Bryn's feature films include Unconditional, which is a darkly comic transgender romance written by Suki Fisher and starring Christian Cook and James Bolam, and Electricity, which is fantastic, which stars Agnes Dane, which has won a National Film Award and was distributed by Netflix. Bryn's most recent feature, Access All Areas, which we're talking a lot about today, is a kaleidoscopic road movie. Um, it stars some amazing people, which, again, we're going to talk about in a little while. And also joining us is Oliver Vesey. 
He's a screenwriter and producer who's worked on Beyond the Sea, The Bourne Ultimatum, Stardust, The Golden Compass, Burning Man, and he's known as a producer for The Railway Man, starring Jeremy Irvine, Nicole Kidman and Colin Firth, and producer and screenwriter with Bryn for the newly released Axis All Areas. Uh, he's recently won the National Film Award for Best Screenplay for Access All Areas, and together uh, they won the Royal Television Award for Best Film for Access All Areas. Welcome to the show. It's a huge welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast, Bryn Higgins and Oliver VC. Thank you. Thank Very you nice again. to be here. Thank you. Yes. Lovely to be here. That was a nice long intro, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, you yeah. do it well. Thanks, man. You boys have been around I feel a while. Pump, I feel energized. Yeah, man. It's good. <clears throat> Listening back to, to your up credits. Like that. Up, I know yeah. you've hey, got to cool. keep it up. Filmmakers out there are going, come on then, give me something interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You boys where do we practice. begin? I know, well, that's a perfect way to start. Where do you begin? How did you start the beginning? Bryn, let's start with you. How was your journey into, you know, BAFTA nominated? Let's go. How did you start? Oh, well, I start at the beginning of the beginning. Yeah, start at the beginning not, not of the beginning. just accessible areas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, oh, well, it does go back to practically the Ice Age. But, um, oh, nice. yeah, no, I was at the um, Royal College of Art. Yeah. And then did pop promos, worked uh, for Factory Records for a while. What did um, you? Things like that I did with some friends. And then, Did you make, uh, did you, were you making? I produced more then. And I produced the 1990 World Cup um, Happy Mondays type thing. And wow. All those so, yes. That's cool. That's going way back, you see. <laughs> <laughs> so yes and then uh working at the bbc doing documentaries yep. um and working as an independent filmmaker basically i'd okay. say i'd call it filmmaking that's one thing filmmaking, for me, rather yeah. than just a producer or director mm-hmm. particularly with documentaries it's you do it all in a way yeah, and i do. think it's incredibly important to sort of know all the aspects if you can yeah, you know? yeah. how did you get into your when you first started directing then obviously you were making documentaries how did that come about what was it, it was just like oh you direct this one as you um really from making the short films mm-hmm. that i'd done um both at the royal college and after the bbc then offered a job in those days it was hard very it's even harder now i suspect but it was very hard to get a job they just yeah put me in on a sort of trial period and i guess i came up with ideas and and made creative documentaries is what i would say they weren't okay. so much observational they were they had a lot of filmmaking in them, in a way. Mm. Um, you were testing the waters with your sort well, a bit, of creative Yeah, filmmaking. you're trying to really. I was interested in storytelling and, and drama. Okay. Um, uh, although, again, learning that discipline of sort of observing, researching, making something as authentic as you can mm-hmm. gives it that feeling that I think is it's going to be original if it's authentic. Yes, it is. And did you did you start doing TV first, or was it? directing wise or did you go straight into your feature film i get all my references tend to come from film so Mm. funny you mentioned taxi driver that Mm. you know as a kid was a film i went to see at the cinema kind of sneaked in and i would say i came out a different person from seeing that film Mm. and i think it was in a double bill with assault on precinct 13 or something like that okay just changes your life yeah sort of thing so so that thing similar experience with raiders of the lost ark but yeah not quite as well, very well. <laughs> it was always that. It was very a lot. Was just amazing, wasn't it? As a kid watching that, it just blew you away, right? right. I never thought from that though I could be a filmmaker. I didn't watch that and go right. I can make films. It just felt way too out of my league in terms of. Yeah, it's funny. I was, I went to a dinner thing, you know, with, with all the directors at the London Film Festival a couple of years ago, or so, mm. and we got asked to sort of say what we were there for and what was the film that made us most want to do it. Yeah, and the film that was mentioned by far the most was Star Wars. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, Not just like there were some Americans there, but there were guys from Lithuania or, you know, all over. Wow. And they were talking about, oh, yeah, my dad showed me this film and or whatever it might be. Yeah. And I was a bit young to from, see that at the cinema. 
No, it wasn't. This was the thing they were watching VHS. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> he got it on VHS, Sorry, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and speaking of Robert De Niro, you one of your earlier jobs was working with him as you were his assistant. Am I right? Uh, Correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. On Stardust. How was that? It was. I mean, it was amazing. Um, I've never told this story before, but I've thought about it a lot. He, mm-hmm. I got kind of the brief from his office in New York. You know, he wasn't coming in for that long. He had like three weeks on the film. And the brief was sort of like, you know, you've got to be really on it in terms of, you know, his shed- schedule and, you know, you know, you just got to know everything and look after and all the rest of it. But the one thing that you have to get right mm. is his martini. Right. You basically, <laughs> if you screw up his martini, yeah. you're, you're finished. He'll find, you know, he'll find someone else. So I'm like... Right. Okay. You know, I've worked in bars my whole, you know, since I was eighteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I can make, yeah, I, I can, can make, make, right, make martini. But yeah, but then I get like the instructions of how to do it. So oh. I'm like, okay. So you know, practice. This isn't really what I got into the film business for, <laughs> but I'll do it. Sure. Scenario. Uh, and so I kind of, you know, I'm practicing. I think I've got. I think I've got it. And you know, Robert, Bob, as he likes to be called, arrives, mm. and you know, we're walking down to set on the first morning, and he kind of turns to me and goes, I'm not going to do an impression of Rob De Niro. Oh, he, turns to <laughs> me, <laughs> he turns to me and goes, Oliver, do you know how to make a martini? And I was like, I think so. Bob, I've been, you know, I've been practicing. I've got, anyway, he goes, okay, this is how I like it. You've got to freeze the glass, you, you know, three olives, a little bit of juice, you know, ice chips in the glass. It gives me like, again, reiterates these instructions. Mm. And he turns to me and puts this kind of iron grip on my shoulder and just goes, Oliver, don't fuck it up. <laughs> oh, fuck. Wow. So I'm like, what? Uh, okay. Okay. I'm like, terrified in his trailer, like shaking the martini, trying to like throwing it all over myself. Trying Anyway, he, he, uh, I think he enjoyed the martinis. Well, you stayed in the job. So I, stayed, you I, lasted, I lasted. And, you lasted. Um, he, yeah, he was, he was great. I was, you know, I asked him for advice and stuff and he was mm-hmm. like, don't, fucking ask me for advice i'm not, I'm not I, yeah that's not what that's i do brilliant uh, thanks which Rob. i appreciated you know really and, yeah mm. and, but he was just really um i mean it was extraordinary to see his focus and had the set would just go completely silent whenever he was there wow. he was completely on it as you would expect uh one of the funniest days was watching him and ricky gervais right yeah, uh, I can because, imagine so different. Because yeah, yeah. Rob, Bob was looking at him, just going like, "Who, like, who is this man <laughs> yeah. who like is forty, like take forty, and he's still improvising and <laughs> still laughing." Yeah, but you know, to his, you know, normally Bob was like two takes, nailed it, gone. Mm. Uh, and that day, he was like, "I, I thought he was gonna uh, not be that impressed," but they got on like massively, and I think he went on to be an extras. He as, did, yeah. yeah, as a result of that day. So he, you know, he was he didn't mind. He was just. But that's really cool. But just very cool to see someone, I guess, that focused, and you know, you realise that's what it takes. Yeah, you've um, got to be that high level all the time. Your brain's got to be on it, on it, on it. Yeah. How did you get the job? I'd literally just come off um, Born Ultimatum, was looking for another job, so I was in right. kicking around Pinewood, um, and then a lot so, of the crew, a lot of the crew went over and, and worked on that. So, I and think, how did you get Born Ultimatum? I, think, I just want to try and get back. How did you? Because people I, will be going, wait a I minute. Mean, <laughs> He's just hanging around De Niro. How do how did you get to that point? Uh, okay, so, so I mean, I was a, I was a runner. Uh, mm-hmm. I worked for Sarah Radcliffe coming out of uni. Okay. Um, Sarah set, uh, co-founded Working Title with Tim Bevan, and I caught I cold called 
every production company in town right when i as i was leaving union said can i come and you know back then when you didn't have to pay interns mm -hmm. uh, i went and worked and lived on my credit card for you know right. and then to be actually i shouldn't I said Sarah did pay me. Like, okay, that's like, eventually to be fair to her. <laughs> Here's uh, a martini. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but not very much. And mm. and um, yeah, I worked there for two years. And you know, it was that kind of office which Sarah's just like fizzing with energy, and she's proper indie producer. And mm. um, it was just a great training ground because you were thrown in at the deep end, taking development meetings, mm -hmm. setting up, you know, um, whatever it took to. Um, you know, she expected that of everyone. There's only four of us in the office and you basically was sink or swim. And um, so it was good first. I mean, couldn't have been a better first job, really. That's amazing. And yeah. that was because you just cold called. Yeah. So I love that. That's just getting off your ass and doing it, which is what I bang on about, about this podcast all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, if you want to be in the filmmaking industry, just get out there and do it. Yeah. Court people. And then email people. And email Ollie. Do you know what I mean? Be his intern. Yeah, right? I, like, I don't mind if yeah. people call me. Totally. You, come, you know, um, people will only say no. And generally, people are very nice and mm -hmm. they want to hear. They, you know, someone's enthusiastic like that. Someone's enthusiastic, and yeah. Yeah. so yeah. Um, so unconditional. Let's talk quickly about unconditional. That was your first feature film that you made. First, yeah, outside of like I did some ninety-minute dramas and things for TV, but first, mm -hmm. yeah, for the cinema type thing. Mm. Um, and how, how did you get the funding for that? It was uh, it was not easy, and to be honest. We'd already started on the process of um, electricity with the BFI and things. Mm. Um, but it was, that was very slow, as films can be. And this script came up from Suki Fisher, who'd written it originally for BBC Films. It's given that the BBC Films at that time, their brief was sort of family oriented. This is not a family film. <laughs> uh, this is, I still really love this film, to be honest. Mm, Partly because of how we went about it. Yeah. But the film itself is unusual it's a beautiful and again it does come from the heart with suki fisher um you know it's about very briefly sort of two 17 year old twins a boy and a girl is it still on iplayer um i don't know if it's still is on it? iplayer we're trying to get it back if on it, as a platform because it's come we made it, it, it six or seven years ago it's there find it it's a i can tell yeah, you transgender it's, it's, yeah, yeah and exactly the whole no. transgender thing I'm not saying it was before its time, but it, but, but it was back then. It sort of it was not. It really was an interesting about. process when we when we started. It went to quite a lot of festivals mm. and to the big um, Frameline Festival in in San Francisco, the sort of very big um, LGBT thing. And it was really interesting to be screening to that audience, fifteen hundred people, very very in a sense um, devoted to this thing, and they liked it. But it didn't quite, we were told by some of the distributors, fit into sort of gay cinema because it's not a comfortable or a happy journey, mm. perhaps to discovering that you might be gay or in the main characters, well, not main, but the, one of the key characters' cases, he can't accept his sexuality. It's a problem. So the thing becomes a quite, um, I hope, nerve-wracking sort of and funny um, psychological piece, you know. Mm. But really, we made it for not much okay. um, and not many of us, but shooting in the Northeast... And working with a couple of wonderful um, DOPs who brought a lot to it. But we were using, back then, relatively new stuff. Like we shot with DSLRs oh, so it was you, yeah, so it's yeah, 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 yeah. It's not on film. That no, it's not. Uh, and, and it was because Paul comes from, um, he's a BAFTA winning uh, documentary cameraman. Mm. He's known in the business for sort of turning up on into whatever location with the camera in a plastic bag. There's no... <laughs> what, like yeah, an Asda Yeah, kind of thing. Because particularly, okay. he's made some... Um, really great documentaries, getting into difficult places, getting shot at, whatever it might be. So, you know, you don't go in and open the big flash cases. His mm. whole thing is 
it's not about renting a big box with a expensive lens. It's some, you know, although he has got a beautiful eye. Um, but yeah, it just, it created an energy in the film that I, I genuinely believe the process of making a film in a certain way mm. is, you know, if you, if you go too slowly or you're too comfortable, it can just settle down into being a, uh, sort of ping pong normal type of film mm. was this thing uh, <laughs> was made at some pace but with a huge amount of energy great actors and yeah I, I i had to look at it again the other day it's the first time i've looked at it for probably two or three years Fun. i've never really looked at it yeah you never did you always see no, bits when you but this time it, i yeah. did because um and i liked it all over again that's in a way nice. i think i allow myself to like it and mm. go you know what that's a really that's actually the type of thing I really like doing. One of the first things Bryn said to me in, in one of our first meetings was, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm not remotely phased by, you know, shooting at a music festival because I've shot in war zones. Yeah, <laughs> so, there you go. I, you know. And you probably went, yep, okay, okay, I like the sound of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that works. That really does work. So, so you'd suggest for most filmmakers then perhaps a documentary background is a good way into feature films. I think it gives you a certain type of training that's really great. Where mm. A, you can pick up a camera and achieve a beautiful shot. Mm. Yeah, you, you know, understand. With just three people, if that, on the crew yeah. or just yourself sometimes. And that does convert through to even if you've got a unit of 50, 60, 70 people mm. or whatever. You're not, you know, it can't, that's such a big ship to move around yes. that you can miss, you can see these shots just flying by. Yeah. and But you know if you say to them, guys, actually not over there, but over here. Mm-hmm. It'll all just fall apart. So yeah. it's painful sometimes. Right. But right. that's why I like, if you can, you work with a second camera there or, you know, mm-hmm. a second unit that's with you quite a lot and you they can do extra things, mm. a lot of things that will find their way into a film. Because I think, again, it's nice. And obviously Access All Areas, we talked a lot beforehand about how trying to make it as immersive a film as possible, as yeah. to convey, you know, a certain sense of being at a festival. Yes. As much as possible. Which you have done. I mean, right? I mean, it's 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 filmed at a festival, filmed at best of all. Yeah. Which we'll get on to. I, I want to yeah. keep going. So for, for me, you, Unconditional led to electricity, which you said you were working with BFI at the same time. Yeah, I think what really helped was, though, Unconditional. BFI saw that and they liked it. Yeah, and I bet so that we massively. Sort of, then it really went ahead on mm. electricity. And um, we brought, you know, similar disciplines to that, I hope, in the sense. I mean, Agnes... Is a beautiful natural actor. Um, well, it was her first ever sort of role, right? As far as I she'd know, she'd done bits of stuff, okay. But, okay. you know, ranging from Clash of the Titans. To, oh, was she in bits? She was in a bit of that, I think. Okay, okay, but not carried the film. No, and she carried it. She was amazing in it. It was a beautiful film. If you're not seen Electricity, go see it. It's a really cool film. I think you did wonderfully while directing it. It's so good. Well, it's funny because she. Yeah, I think she she pretty much was that character in mm. lots of ways. And, of course, she had all this experience as a supermodel. Mm-hmm. I, you know, honestly, we sort of cast her partly because she is so charismatic, but also because of what she screen tested so authentically. She comes right. from, you know, um, somewhere just outside Manchester. I can't remember uh-huh, what it's called. Yeah. And that's what she's kind of like, really. And she's been through quite a lot by the age of, you know, late twenties. She'd, she'd yeah. She'd if really you're traveling around the world all the time, meeting lots of people, it's yeah. You, you and grow you know, up. it's a mad world. The yeah. world of uh, and modeling she, and, and all she that. was happy to screen test. It wasn't an issue at all. I think we'd kind of pretty much offered to, but she, uh, you know, it, it helped with the financing and with getting the BFI's final sort of approval. Just mm-hmm. because, yes, you're you're putting it all onto the shoulders of. Uh-huh. So we just shot two or three scenes. Um, 
again, it's a good thing to do, not necessarily, it wasn't a teaser thing. We did a sort of teaser because the film does involve epilepsy as a big aspect of it. And commercially, that's, that's, um, people get worried about it. Yeah. So we, we did make a sort of teaser to show, look, this is how cinematic it is in a sense. Mm -hmm. That's a horrible way to describe it, but it no, sort but of is. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's hallucinatory, this particular type mm -hmm. that this character has. But just shooting, um, yeah, just three scenes uh, with her and fantastic actor Paul Hilton, who's a good friend and came in and helped. And um, that certainly can be useful. That in convincing, you know, mm -hmm. backers, I think that look, this is a amazing actress, mm -hmm. amazing presence. Let's say. Yeah. Um, and then she just came more prepared uh, than any actor, pretty much. I've sort of necessarily worked with. She Seriously? spent because she spent oh. six months before not really doing anything else, just getting ready. Mm -hmm. um, so luckily we didn't change the script too much um, <laughs> yeah oh by the way here's the new script yeah yeah <laughs> no that's not in it anymore I just learned it no she came at yeah. it very personal very mm -hmm. um, and her, her ability to summon emotion things like that fantastic yeah. right. so her, her basic inner it's the thing I think with actors it's about the decisions they're making internally mm -hmm. and the thoughts they're thinking because the camera photographs thought yes know? it does yeah absolutely. so if you think it right you're there yeah yeah, and how do you like to work with actors? Do you, do you like to shape a performance? Do you leave it to them? Or does it depend on who it is? Well, because we're talking about, like, filmmaking, mm. for me, um, it's changed a lot. When, I've, when I, I remember being at film school and just being really scared of, just shy, you know, and mm. talking to actors and not realising, and also because, yeah, you had no money and so there was that thing of, like, you're trying to get actors to do it for not much or whatever it might, or nothing. Mm -hmm. It can be really, it puts you in a, potentially kind of a difficult embarrassing place whereas what i've come to learn is actors just are the most collaborative playmates in a way <laughs> you know they I've, I've asked actors to do the most absurd things yeah. and they will do it when they really probably should have gone i don't know about this yes yeah, <laughs> totally. you know, why yeah. am i doing this or whatever and you, you have to stop yourself sometimes of going actually yeah i don't I don't think you need to sort of walk that way or whatever it is yeah yeah you know? i know what you mean um yeah. <laughs> And now I just I love it because you you talk you talk psychologically to them and mm -hmm. that, and then they do that thing of converting wherever this character's at whatever that's going on in their head you know good actors always will go yeah I could do that yeah. and they mean I know how to convert that and portray it without necessarily you know making a big statement of it or mm -hmm. sort of blaring it out and that's where it gets really wonderful then i just you sit and watch them go yeah you did it you gave us that thought yeah just that little thought you just, sometimes it's just a seed you give them and they'll they'll run with it and find them out you go yep that is yeah. whereas other times it can be too on the nose I, I, I had to pull myself back sometimes right i almost like directing by numbers it's not but i said okay try that and on that line and suddenly that you can see them going oh he said on that line to give me this thought or this oh shit no and now it looks like it's staged mm. so it's a really fine balance yeah directing to to not be too full-on but at the same time to try and shape a performance. But actors, like you say, they're wonderful. They can really, they take it on. They're on screen. It's yeah. their face at the end of the day. It's their, their name. Yeah. They don't want to look stupid. They want, they want to really put it in. So, that's yeah. their buzz. That's, it's what their buzz. that's yeah. how they live, isn't it? it is, you know, yeah. really. And they, and, so, and they love to obviously work opposite other actors who mm -hmm. are doing the same thing, yeah. I think. But, yeah, so I, I tend to try and tell them, you know, kind of what this is the shot, but you've got all this area you can go to if you mm -hmm. want. I we sort of thought it'd be good if you might be over here because the light's lovely or whatever you know, yeah. and they always sort of know that. If but really try to give them that freedom. Um, there's a 
my favorite one of my favorite directors is Jacques Audiard, you know, mm-hmm. Rust and Bone yeah. and these things. And there's a brilliant um, making of of Rust and Bone. Oh, is there? Oh, well, I'm not seeing this. One. But yeah, it's pretty good because you do okay. see, so you see him, you know, directing these scenes. And and what somewhat reassured me is a, it looked like the sort of film sets I've worked on. Like, oh, yeah, everybody else is just chaotic too. <laughs> 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 but also, um, That's great. he'll be standing there, you, you know, you see him just chat, talking to Marianne Cotillard in the hospital scene, whatever it is. He turns around, and I'm not kidding, he just goes, action. There's no turnover, boarding it, nothing. What? This is the sort of, emphasis he puts on and that's how he gets what he gets from those from that cast it's hard on the crew I'm I was sure. going to say so, so, shit yeah, yeah, yeah. someone turn over so yeah, at some point going, in there you see yeah. they have like a red camera <laughs> on the floor and it's literally in a bag of ice it's just overheating <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. because it's on all the time but that was the earlier red so I'm sure they're very good now you, say, you say chaos you're being modest I think, but the thing I noticed about working with Bryn is that is the total confidence and assuredness of the blocking mm-hmm. of the scene Okay. Which I think gives the actors free, you know, makes them feel relaxed and confident that yeah. the director knows what they want. Mm. You certainly seem to always. Uh, yeah, know no, that is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's because you want to get into the scene as fast as possible. You can waste so much time on blocking if you're not clear. I always, I always have a like a floor plan, not necessarily mm-hmm. a storyboard, because I think. A, they take so long to do, but they also do. you always have to vary from. Of course you do. You Things know. change when you arrive there on the yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Oh, the sun's not there, or whatever uh-huh. it might be. But basically, you 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 know you learn the simple craft, don't you? Well, it'd be good to shoot towards the light or across yeah. it, not yeah. with it, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then you can talk to the actors. But I, again, blocking it with the DOP, rehearsing the scenes with the DOP in the room, mm-hmm. and without you sort of giving all your attention to the actors, but I definitely kind of look at the DOP and. You know, we're yeah. all making hands. Yeah, hands in that. You can see it too shut that. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and exactly. And then some DOPs, you know, I, I do like DOP to be a director of photography, like we yeah. all that they are. It's their photography yeah. in the Absolutely. end. Absolutely. So they might suggest something great. But mm. yeah, I just find that, especially with films like Access All Areas or any, any low, well, it's not low budget, but any budget, you know, schedule tough film. Mm-hmm. You need to get at that scene as fast as possible to have more time with it, I think. Yeah. Um, That's great. And Ollie, when you were, because obviously you produced for a, a while now, but when you worked on The Railway Man, you were working with some, some big talent on that. Mm-hmm. And what did you learn making The Railway Man then? Because that, that must have just been like, you know, throwing yourself in the deep end <laughs> and working on something as big as that and shooting in Australia and. Yeah, I mean. Period piece as well. Yeah, it was. Uh, three continents a big international co-production the you know one of the the biggest part of my role was putting that together with with andy and that side of it and the amazing cast you got i can't take any credit for that that was andy's relationship with colin from the after the girl the pearl ring um which he produced which he produced and and and, um this was a story that was really important to tell was extraordinary it was so everybody wanted to do justice to the story and then it was about finding a way to make it a movie a compelling story that could exist in and finding a structure that worked mm. you know it took 14 years from when bill kerbishly first optioned the book and brought in andy as a producing partner and then i came in later mm-hmm. and once you know colin had just done the king's speech obviously so once colin wanted to do it it started the pieces started to move but even then you know it was a 20 million dollar budget um yeah. it was tough uh we just about had the international sales numbers 
Wow. And that's with Colin Firth and Nicole Kidman and you're already going, we're struggling. It's yeah. a 20 million pound film and they're still going, the numbers might not Yeah, match. but, it, wow. you know, it was tough. It was about torture and, you know, oh, it's not really about that. It's about redemption as, mm-hmm. you know, anyone who's seen the movie knows. Um, but, yeah, the subject matter um, caused the problem. But, yeah, absolutely. We were right right up again on the edge of what the pre-sale figures would allow and and i don't think we could make it now like the, the international sales market really uh which we can get onto or not but yeah the we andy and i talk about this a lot you you just that market where the film had the value in the important territories like germany and mm-hmm. the uk and australia and um we didn't sell pre-sell the us but the way that you put those productions together um with the value because of colin and nicole and mm-hmm. even with those stars now the film's that market is just vanishing before our eyes. So and, it'd and only that's be... the big problem for that level of, of drama. Uh, wow. In... So it'd only work if it, say, Netflix said, right, we'll come in and fund this. Is that that's the way it's moving? It seems to be um, right. that that, that, you that know, level of budget is just not worth I it. I think there were three made in the UK last year, um, of £10 million mm-hmm. plus. Um, and... Uh, I think it's a problem. It's something we're talking a lot uh, about um, as producers mm-hmm. uh, and looking for solutions because there is basically a 20% um, gap in those budgets that just cannot be filled by international sales now. Wow. Uh, so, you know, you can make it for, you can try and make it for £6 million, pounds, mm-hmm. um, but does the, you know, with we talked about The Crown earlier, the mm-hmm. production value, the extraordinary um work that's being done on tv you have to offer cinematic audiences something better than 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 that we Mm -hmm. think um so you know do people want to see the six million pound version of the railway man i don't think they do right um so there is a a question uh, and a problem that needs to be addressed what do you think what do you think the way forward is at the moment I don't know if I'm allowed to. Uh, I don't know if. Well, I don't know if this is the right forum. Um, but but we, well, well, we, we, you know, you know, there, you know, we think. Um, well, there's uh, pact, and I think the BFI agree uh, that there is scope to create a forty percent tax credit in the wow. UK. That would be amazing for films that qualify under very strict criteria mm-hmm. um, that are indigenously British. Mm-hmm. Um, and a very at, working title at a certain movies certain level yeah at a, oh, at right. a certain level um but their films yeah they are those you know they're not not we're not talking about the um you know super high-end studio films that mm-hmm. do very well out of the stuff, tax credit sure. here which is a fantastic success story in it the uk is, and yeah. bring a huge amount of inward investment and do wonderful things for the crew and mm-hmm. you know they benefit uh financially from the from the 20 percent tax credit it works out 20 percent um now I don't, you know, I don't think there's any suggestion you should increase the tax credit for them, and it's probably not for the smaller films either. But for that, niche. Set, for that, you know, yeah, five to fifteen million pound film, mm-hmm. which is, um, which is where you could take, which are, you know, specific culturally, um, enhancing, mm-hmm. um, where you can take risks um, that audiences want that are original and unique, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're vanishing they're vanishing before our eyes and and it's you know we can see what's happening everyone can see what's happening in cinemas mm-hmm. and how tough it is to um because you know most movies don't work 
Yeah. And most movies don't find a, a, certainly a theatrical audience. No, they don't. And, uh, but, you know, you still need a certain number of films coming through to get the gems, to mm. get the King's speeches, to get um, these wonderful uh, British films that are made at a certain scale that people find in the, in the cinema and yeah. then go on and launch careers and mm. launch amazing companies like Seesaw. And, yes. um, but without further help, I think, um, those films are going to, they're just not going to be made. Unless we go and make films for Netflix, which we can do. Because I love making films. We'd love to make films of for Netflix. Of course, that'd, it's a different great. thing, isn't it? There's, but it's, I think it's your we budget, all, go make it. Yeah, I Crazy. mean, that, you know, we, we can do that. But I think we all agree that seeing those unique and those uniquely British films in mm. cinemas is something that has to be... It's what we talked about. Looked after. We, we love going to the cinema and watching these films, these Netflix originals, even though they sort of did it with the Hurricane Heist recently. It came out as Sky rather than Netflix, but it came out the cinema at the same time as on Sky. Mm. We're kind of like, okay, they're trying something new there. I don't know how well it's done in the cinema, but what we were talking about is how great the cinema is and how we enjoy it and how... I don't just want to see Marvel movies all the time. Mm. I, I want to see those fifteen million pound movies, the ones that are British, the really with heart. Yeah. So yeah, I do hope that we can. I say we, like I'm going to do something different, but I hope that the BFI, whoever is in doing something, can go. Do you know what? We we kind of need to do something now before it's too late. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I mean, otherwise we're going to be making much much smaller movies, mm -hmm. which, uh, but it's it's not a business model. Even mm -hmm. really wonderful low budget films are not sustaining businesses and yeah. they're not you know if if we all want Careers. people to stick around mm -hmm. in the career yeah. uh, in the business people need to get paid and 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 that means making films on a bigger scale that are commercially successful yeah. um as as wonderful as the low budget hits on I would love to have one. Uh, <laughs> but you're right. The dispute seems to be taking all the money. It seems to be disappearing over there or yeah. as an American team comes in. Fascinating. Fascinating. Which leads us on nicely to access all areas uh, and talking about screenwriting and, and an indie film as well and sort of the, the lower budget, not lower budget, right, and yeah. the sort of mid-budget range. So you was it your idea to come access all areas, Ollie? Did you sort of go, do you know what? I, I've got this idea for the film. How did it come about? Yeah, so I had a treatment for a film that was based on yeah my experiences my, principally my experience as a 17 year old i hitchhiked to a well-known music festival in somerset did you and jumped the fence i love uh, that back back when you could jump the fence <laughs> jump back then, I, yeah. I wouldn't advise trying it now um <laughs> and i don't condone it anyway um but you yeah. subsequently paid them then? I made a large contribution to Oxfam <laughs> Did you? out of guilt. <laughs> I don't know if they gave it to the festival, but yeah. <laughs> no, no. Still, it's, it's a nice thing. No, it's really, doing all right, but, that festival. Yeah, but yeah, it's one of their... They, they're a big Oxfam supporter, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so that assuaged some of my guilt. But uh, that experience, and, you know, over time, over that mm. period, period of time, I went, you know, would go to a lot... First of all, it was a big part of my life and my friends' lives. And, and yeah. I had this idea. And at the time, no one had tried it. I mean, a couple of people have tried it now. But mm -hmm. at the time, no one had tried to make a film at a music festival. And I just, as I kind of, my journey into filmmaking went along as, you know, this idea of wouldn't it be very cool to try and do. That was the kind of writing side cool. of me to try and capture some of that magic and the sort of hilarious you know they were inevitably sort of hilarious weekends where things would go wrong and mm -hmm. you'd meet new people and meet amazingly beautiful 
people, people. and okay, um, yeah. and and then you'd kind of go home to your normal lives and it was trying to capture some of that and that sort of transformative experience so i had this idea percolating away and then i met and then bill kirbishly and i worked together on the railway man mm-hmm. and he, he, i was sitting in his office and we were chatting and he, and his daughter his then 15 year old daughter yeah was on the phone begging him to, to go, go to, to, to go to her first music festival wow and he was you know bill Bill's the manager of the Who and and mm-hmm. Judas Priest and formerly Page Plant and and um and he was you know he's grown up around badly behaved young men his <laughs> he whole life what and, he, at a and he's like quite protective <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, understandably so he's like right you can go to your first music festival but I'm sending this young man with you and he picked this kid out of the mailroom and <laughs> this was, kid went oh my god. And he was like, <laughs> you're going to take my daughter to a music festival. Yeah. And if anything happens to her, <laughs> you'll answer to me. Jesus. Now, Bill is a lovely, generous, like one of my favorite humans. <laughs> uh, but, but he's not to be trifled with. <laughs> right, so, the boy, okay. so, you go, so the boy's like, oh, okay, Bill. Yeah, sure. I, you know. uh, they, so they go off to the festival anyway. Yeah. The boy's terrified. Mm-hmm. The girls and girls and her friends are mortified that they're uh, this, stuck, this stuck guy, with yeah, this, this kid. loser. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, they... Predictably, they you know, they walk through the gates, and within fifteen minutes, the girls have ditched him. Wow, wow! And he's so shitting. So, 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 and I think actually, this isn't made up. The next thing anyone saw of their daughter, Bill's wife, saw her live on the BBC on some <laughs> random bloke's shoulders in the mosh pit watching <laughs> Muse, and, and it's like, oh the, man, you know what's going. So it's like that's just it. Kind of, that's just a great setup. It is a great for setup. A movie and. And kind of those two stories converged and developed over time, and mm-hmm. and then obviously um, started talking to Bryn about it, and the script script develops, and kind of access all areas came out of all of that. So it's about teenagers fleeing their parents to go to a music festival, which was shot partly at Bestival. Uh, and it's. Do you want to describe any more than that about what it's about, or shall I just play the trailer? Play it. I want to hear this. So Kurt, a recluse for 12 years, is yes. going to make his grand reappearance at a music festival. Boom. It's him. And we're going. I've put you a gig. You're a good musician. And anyway, I heard your unfriendly girlfriend's going. You do not leave this room. Mia. Are you going to a festival for the weekend? The journey starts here, boys and girls. Find some better clothes. Xavier's band is playing at the festival. Yeah, so is he. <laughs> I've just come here to see someone play. Kurtz. No one actually thinks he'll show. <laughs> are they having too much fun for you? Hell is empty and all the devils are here. Come on! have to be cool in that because that's VIP. What are you doing here again? Came for you. Eat your fear. Eat it. He's here. You want music. You play your own. Nobody wants to hear me play. There it is. I'll make an artist of you, yeah? Yeah! 
destiny coming for you, my boy. Play it. <laughs> never just a gig mate i mean it's it's really cool i mean it's such a great idea right so how did you two get connected from that uh actually i think through the line producer wasn't it um the, the yeah. wonderful I, lo- <laughs> <laughs> I love that you both remembering no, right now going uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, no, no. no it was andy who's a brilliant australian line producer yeah. um quite a character in his own right yeah and um he mentioned something to me and i and then people spoke to people and so forth yeah and i went to meet these two in bill's office which is a quite extraordinary place it, for me uh, growing up the who were actually uh, yeah. quite a big band That's you know cool to say the fuck. least yeah you were like um, i don't care if i get the job i just nice it was to just you, I'm going to the who's office exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it is something else it's mm-hmm. you know with pictures everywhere and signed and god knows what so yeah. But really, it was in meeting these two guys, uh, obviously the script itself is comes from a very authentic place, mm-hmm. as Oliver's talking about. It comes from real real experience or real uh, knowledge of, of all of this stuff um, and a very good grounding in drama and the structures of that and things like that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, festivals, whilst enticing and you'd think and definitely cinematic but they're not structured sure this um, you can't ask people to stay in a certain place you can't no, ask a band and, to play well, again. And stuff happens crazy stuff but that's not yeah. a story per yeah. se yeah. you know yeah. as mm. you start to want a film to sustain and build for 90 minutes or whatever yeah. you need as much story as possible you know but the balance i think was slightly to be struck between that and not and keeping a sense of the chaos that is going to a festival with 26 stages playing at once and you name it you know and, yeah. and people pulled all over the place yeah and so yeah and for me again as as a yeah 17 year old it was music and going to see bands was a huge f- release for me from from home and things and the energy and so forth um has always been something that that i've i suppose tried to, or stayed close to and things so mm-hmm. to get to maybe be involved in a film that was about the value of music and festivals as a transformative, you know, um, we talked to, weirdly as you do, you know, you get a little bit deep about things, to say the least, uh, about it yeah. being the modern pilgrimage, I think, going to festivals for, mm-hmm. for young and now for people, even of my generation, who are the parents. Mm-hmm. So a film that does both because yep. there are the parents pursuing the kids and the parents rediscover or, you know, are, are set free by the festival and, as much as the kids, in a sense, um, and then and that brings them together as as father and daughter or whatever it is yeah. uh, in a wonderful way. And you've got an amazing cast in it as well. Great right? cast. You've got uh, well, Jordan Stevens, who's brilliant. You've got Phil Daniels, um, of course. Yeah, uh, Ella Purnell. Ella Purnell, um, of course, she's doing really well. Um, Ed Bloomer, we pretty much well gave him his first job out of um, you know drama school, and because mm-hmm. he's a wonderful natural, I think really going to be something ed um so yeah it was lovely mm-hmm. to, to to cast a film and again this is the thing isn't it if you haven't got huge bucks it's great to have a young cast because you're never going to have famous people you don't have to kind of, it's really about finding distinctive mm-hmm. and bill talked about quadrophenia the original movie none of those guys were named yeah, at all look right? who they became you oh, know yeah. it's yeah. fascinating. It it fascinating brilliant cast um then trying to control a young cast is always fun <laughs> and then expose <laughs> them to a real festival, festival. <laughs> so let's yeah. talk about that how did you yeah. get to film at a festival how did it happen filming at festival we uh 
again, I just got in touch with. Just climbed over the fence. With yeah, the camera. yeah. Well, I'd been, I'd been, and paid to go right. uh, a, a few I'm times. I've no guilt here. It's huge, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Like, really you can let it go now. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. No, I'm paid your dues. You yeah, definitely yeah. have. I've done penance. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> um, yeah, just we got in touch with uh, Rob DeBank um, mm-hmm. and Ben, um, who his partner. Um, and Josie, who who is Rob's wife, who founded Best of All, okay, and curates it, and Josie designs it, and Rob does the um, does the music largely, and yeah, we got in touch with them and pitched it to it, pitched it to them, and they were yeah really into it. So it was it was uh, that bit was amazingly straightforward. That, that was the, uh, that, yeah. that was the only bit that was straightforward. Okay, what were the um, hardships then? What was go well, on? Well, it's just. Um, the fact there are lots but you can't really recce anywhere um Mm. and uh know what it's actually going to be like when you turn up and shoot there you have no control um you know you have to let go of that sort of filmmakers need to control everything yes from you know which is hard what's right there you know and (laughs) Bryn would say to me so this carnival this live carnival that we're shooting in this is going to be at this point at this moment in time and i'm able to shoot there right and i'd be like i think so because <laughs> i didn't know for sure and and right. you because you'd be working off information that was changing all the time and the mm. festival was this sort of organic moving of breathing living thing yeah. um which you know we'd turn up and shoot we had one of the one of the crowd scenes we had to shoot we obviously needed a big crowd at the main stage yeah um and we got given some slots by the festival that we could shoot there. Mm-hmm. And we turned up and the band that was going on after us had missed their plane or their ferry to the Isle of Wight. Uh-huh. So they didn't show up. Oh. So the, but there was no band, so there was no crowd. So it was oh, like, no. uh, well, we can't shoot this scene then. Shit. And it's, you know, how quickly can you then adapt? Mm-hmm. So what did you do? Did you find another area or did you wait? And- no, that one we did shift. And, you know, again, you have to cut and run and go like, this isn't going to work. We, let's go to that scene that was due to be shot tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Whatever you, we, we moved somewhere else. So I think, I mean, I, I really did. I wasn't that worried about <laughs> taking, you know, a, a unit in um, because... Uh, because I just somehow felt it would be all right. Um, yeah. and because there's a certain structure, but I think I was, I was taken by surprise that there's a really big difference between, um, the, the necessities, let's say of a filmmaking enterprise and a festival. The festival is way more, um, sort of circus like to me, or I don't know, it's literally <laughs> not there the night before almost mm. it opens. I, I just had no, I thought, oh, they'll have the tents up the main stage, the yes. whole thing. We can block where we're going to do stuff. Nah. You are literally standing in a field. We arrived two days before, I think, just right. so we had one day. Wow. We had to pre-shoot a few things. And we're kind of going, right, the main stage is going to – just imagine <laughs> over there <laughs> is a big thing. Right. I mean, they put it up so fast. It's amazing. It's um, so that, that sort of somewhat ad hoc thing. But luckily, we did have a wonderful and a, a quite an experienced crew. How many crew did you take? Well, uh, it's interesting. I had this – when we first started talking about it, I mm. thought, yeah, we'll go in like – 10 of us yeah it's just like nice, really you yeah, know, yeah oh, really you know there no one will notice us. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, look, I, one day I was looking down and he's like 
50 crew in wow. high vis like oh in high vis as well you know yeah, yeah we yeah, sort of had, had to, to. Yeah, had to be in, you know people asking you where the toilets are totally yeah. absolutely yeah. and i could see them because they're all dancing up and down in yeah. the, apart from the steady cam operators so. yeah exactly yeah. People come <laughs> going, how but, do i get out of yeah, that and you're like well there you go mate go about a mile that way yeah but yeah. i tell you i learned about the power of the high vis yeah no it's yeah. so good isn't it yeah you wear a high vis especially when mm. you know kids have well, we yeah. had yeah. our yeah. own yeah. purple high vis as well, yeah. as opposed oh, to the yellow or the yeah. orange. Special. And it was like, oh man, you're the secret police. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had one, one guy just came up to us and said, I just want to say thanks for looking after us. <laughs> totally off his head. I yeah. said, You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Put some money towards Oxfam. <laughs> but it was, I mean, there's a scene in the film where Jordan Stevens gets lifted out, lifted out of the crowd on the, mm-hmm. you know, by the acrobat thing. And we had to shoot that at yeah. two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. live one shot deal really and no but we, you know despite experience and people talking about how can we talk because the noise level is so high of course we talked yeah. about helicopter radio comm systems all of it and mm. it all just went out the window and became yeah. frantic hand waving and ended up queuing in a sense when to turn over when to do it off when you hear this song mm. really yeah we managed to arrange that with the, yeah. with, with rob queuing the aerialist serious d- it was actually the song that the dj played in this in their set was everybody's cue for the cameras to roll for Jordan to perform? No way, and it all happened live. Yeah, it was, yeah. wow! It was, and to the stressful. last second, when that is I things bet. like they just say, "Look, if it, if the acrobat can't, if the cl- train, dr- uh, the train train driver can't, can't see out. where he's going to put the person, they'll just they won't do it." Yeah. So great, okay, well, run five cameras, and here we go. What, what would have happened if that hadn't have worked out? What would what did you have a backup plan? Did you sort of go? No, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> That's where it's Please just get it exactly. Yeah. Just get it. I mean, get, get it. Make it work. I think get I something. kind of kidded myself that we could do it the following night, but that was it. You know, that was right. that was really the moment. So there was, it was kind of it was, there was a lot of that. Um, Had you scripted pretty much everything? And you, it was, well, I was going to say, yeah, the 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 production draft of that. Um, changed quite a lot as the realities of shooting there became apparent a lot got stripped out Mm -hmm. uh of of the first you realize what you can do in three days is limited you know we didn't want to run around you know certainly not you know try and just shoot on the fly that wasn't the approach ever Mm -hmm. um so we pulled a lot out of the festival um the whole mum and dad storyline yeah that a, a lot more of that used to happen within the festival walls. I see, and that got stripped out to mm-hmm. basically to give us control, so we could shoot on other days at other times in different locations. Um, and I think one of the big production successes um, that Bryn pulled off with Murray McEwen, our production designer and and the director of photography, is you. I you, I don't think you ever really know what was shot at festival and what was shot on our set in in Bristol. You know, for sure, you because don't. the yeah. the you know we didn't have big we didn't have the money for big extras days, so we couldn't really populate we could we couldn't really populate mm-hmm. our set in Bristol, and yet you know you don't really know I think when you leave festival. So you know we shot for four weeks in a field in Bristol, right. um, but you think you're still at the festival. That's incredible. Right. Yeah, I, I mean CGI that. again. We we did with the second unit shooting, sort of getting plate shots and things so we could put that into the background but I, I i agree i'm really pleased with that the you don't really know um and we you know filmmaker wise we chose um to to shoot with um 
really nice lenses and stuff, um, the mm. cooks and stuff. So it gave it all a look and it all had that widescreen kind of quality mm. that was really helped to just all bind it together. It does look know. stunning. It does yeah. really look mm. nice. It's, it does Tony look Slater Ling, beautiful DOP. Beautiful. So, yeah. It's high end. It's gorgeous. It's how did you manage to like say control the crowd sometimes? Like if it was sometimes people, the, I'm not saying extras, but the guys who were actually there at the festival, were they, did they play up? Obviously they see a yeah. camera. Well, looking I mean, they, in it. we did, <laughs> okay, forgive me for, if it sounds name dropper, but we did the same thing on the Bourne Ultimatum at, mm. uh, uh, at Waterloo when that mm. seek I don't know whether you remember that of sequence. course I remember that wonderful yeah. sequence Matt Damon's walking yeah, so through that was, so that was a day it was basically 20, 20 extras inside a rope we literally had a rope yep. and moving around through the crowd so you're blocking off the nearest eye lines to the camera preventing people from looking straight down the lens and that's about as many extras as we ever had on any one day and you're so you're basically creating a field around, around the camera and you're moving within I see. So you don't control, you can't, you know, you, Impossible. you, yeah, people are there to enjoy the festival first. So we can't like, mm. you can't like block off roads and go, sorry guys, we're shooting a yeah, movie. You can't it. come through here. Because right. yeah. people really don't well, like that. They, they, they don't like, they don't care. Certainly don't and, care about and, your film. And, and they don't, no, exactly. So there's a lot of outtakes, a huge reel There's of a long, stuff long reel of outtakes. do do things do, that's right. kind of funny. But yeah, you just have to, it's a little bit of the documentary thing. You just remind yourself, this is not, our festival it's their festival yeah which is why when we shot the scene at the toilets we ended up with that scene being <laughs> a couple of th- i mean one we were designated a toilet to, yeah. to be to using for the establishers. Yeah, for and um that was one of our yeah. like the did door we didn't need open. to shoot that one at well, the we festival just picked it, we said, oh yeah you have to shoot the outside because there's a line of 50 toilets and all that. we just yeah, had to pick a toilet which two people were having sex in right right yeah. so you know that was it oh well, let's move to another one then yeah. kind of thing and, yeah there was kind of the witching still, hour between like 6 7 p.m where people right. were kind of charging back from the campsite uh-huh excited shall we say mm-hmm. um where you know, our actors and cameras just got jumped on. Um, and then, but once night fell, we could move pretty easily around. And people okay. just sort That of, was the only time I, I did feel slightly, was we were shooting and Boy Better Know came on. Yeah. And um, we were by the, by the mixing desks and everything and just got complete track because kind of, come, they come over the hill, literally. <laughs> literally You're in a bowl as the main stage is in front of you. Yeah. You look out and they, as soon as they started, like, it was like, you know, the living dead, thousands of blokes. Just Build it and, and they will and come type come. moment. Yeah, and yeah. they just running like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really Braveheart. Um, was like, oh, that was a shit. good gig. We all had to stop, basically. Really? It was yeah. impossible. Listen to that. I've never yeah. had my insides readjusted by the bass like that. Wow. It was amazing. How did you work out sound then? Because that's obviously an issue, recording sound. There's a lot of ADR. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Guide track was yep. okay and helped. I don't think we used any in the end, but... Yeah. But in a weird way, recreating the sound of the festival through all of that was, um, you know, a big part for the sound job. Mm-hmm. And Nigel did a beautiful job on getting that, you know, the way you get the reverberation sound. The feeling, all, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, because it always sounds like it's echoing or yeah. do, 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 you can hear yeah. that in a different place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a big sound job, wonderful, something like 35 tracks, all that to play with. Yeah, and, and you got some great artists, music-wise, working on that. Did Was that planned beforehand? Because obviously you're there at the festival recording yeah. live, so therefore you're listening to sounds in the background of Boy Better Known, for example, yeah. but you can't necessarily use that. You mm. definitely can't use them, and as we discovered, <laughs> like, yeah, we'll give you un- unnamed band. We'll give you permission to shoot. That's cool, that's cool, yeah. Mm. Um, 
uh, but then we want approval of like what you've shot and right. any anyone will tell you he's made anything mm-hmm. you can't shoot something and then risk it not being approved so you yeah that was that was totally un, unworkable but it was an interesting um it's a very hard part of the process ed- education in <laughs> boringly how, in, but really in, in like um yep. clearing all that I yeah. can imagine because you had Underworld. Is, is you've got Future yeah. Islands, obviously the Who, uh, yeah. Duke Dumont, some amazing yeah, the, artists. The, 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 the soundtrack is outrageous, absolutely incredible. We had Universal Music came on uh, very early. They were uh, okay, early su- supporters, and then um, Rob DeBank and his and Simon Astle at Earworm were our music supervisors, okay. um, and they did phenomenal job of clearing all that music we would kind of create these wish lists um of of music we wanted to use and and different uh genres that so it kind of felt like a you know your dream festival lineup you know uh so so that was that was definitely really good then in terms of distribution side of it obviously the posters are everywhere in london right now yeah um how did you go about, did you get distribution beforehand? Did you know how you were going to get people to see it? Yes, it was all a carefully uh, worked <laughs> plan. <laughs> um, there were fans of it, you know, in the UK right from the start, but everybody wants to see, you know, at that, at that budget level, everyone wants to see it, mm-hmm. you know, um, pre-selling a film is getting harder and harder. So, you know, we got, the, I get Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Festival premiere was definitely a great platform mm-hmm. and really where our, and then Am- and that was really where our deal with Amazon came about came, came about and it sort of all came about at the same time actually but certainly the fact that it started to get to have um fest- a festival platform and then um once you know Chris Bird uh was a big fan of the f- uh, f- from Amazon was a big fan of the film from the start and they yeah they came in and bought it great so where, where's best play for people to watch it now? Obviously Amazon, but uh... yeah, well it's now it's on Amazon, um, yeah. and we've just gone out uh, wider on all your favourite digital platforms, so you can see it now also on iTunes and Google Play, Xbox, PlayStation, Sky Store. Um, so love it. It's 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 a great watch, and as summer finally arrives, <laughs> it's... it is is a good way to get in the mood for. a it's a really good time and it's a it's a great film well done guys it's been an absolute Thanks, pleasure having you both pleasure here it's, it's been, been really fun um where can people find you on social media so they can follow you and follow your journey do either you guys do social media is this where you're at yeah i do i'm at oliver vz on yep. on twitter um i've got a, a very very large following uh of <laughs> So all know, those festival I'm, fans followed yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. But I heard everyone buys their followers, but I'm keeping it real on, no, on seventy nine followers. Seventy nine. Yeah. Well, um, j- after so. this, you'll get a, you'll get three more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but more importantly, follow the film at AAA the film. AAA the film. Yeah, yeah, follow yeah. that. Yeah, definitely. Um, Bryn. Um, no, I'm available through Curtis Brown. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yes. But uh, no, I don't have a uh, social media presence. I, I don't know. Personally, I'm spending a lot of time working on things at the moment. So, yeah. yeah. Fair but, enough. Yeah. That's all good. Um, you can follow us at Filmmakers Pod. Remember to get your shout outs to us there or at me at Giles Alderson. The show is out next Tuesday. As always, we're out Tuesdays. As always, we will see you then for now. Thank you very much, Oliver. VC. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bryn. We really you. appreciate both being here. Pleasure. Good to be here. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye.